Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary officer and your host, Jennifer Williams. Hello and welcome to another edition of our continuing series of Travcast interviews with playwrights, in which we talk to playwrights about their current work and also explore their thoughts on the art of playwriting and the part it plays in their lives. Um, today, we've got the great pleasure of having the playwright Alan Wilkins with us. Alan was brought up in Edinburgh and before his professional debut as a playwright, he worked as an actor and taught English as a foreign language in Poland and Spain. Whilst in Spain, he wrote his first play, Childish Things, which he sent to the Traverse, and it got a public reading here. Um, he then went on to write his second play, Cafeteria Stroke Restaurant, which received a reading at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow. And based on uh, the success of those pieces, the Traverse commissioned him to write The Nest, which was his first uh, fully produced play. Yes. Um, his next play, Carthage Must Be Destroyed, set in a second century Roman bathhouse, opened at the Traverse in 2007 and explored themes of power, politics and decadence set against the improbable background of the Third Punic War in 149 BC. This play won the Critics Award for Theatre in Scotland, Best New Play Award for 2007-8 and was also produced in Bath at the Theatre Royal. In 2008, Alan scripted Can We Live With You for Lang Ha's Theatre Company, which works with people with learning disabilities. The play was performed at the Traverse in April 2008. And Offshore, produced by Birds of Paradise, was a play set against the background of the decline of the Scottish fishing industry and its effect on small communities. Alan has been a teacher for different, many different schools and types of students. He's taught on the Masters of Literature program at the University of Glasgow, um, has taught a playwriting course for inmates at Polmont Young Offenders Institution, and um, has been, and currently is, the playwriting tutor for our very own Traverse Theatre Young Writers group, which I help to manage, so I get to work with <laughs> Alan on that, and it's always a wonderful experience. Um, so, Alan, that, that was an uh, exciting uh, <laughs> foray through your um, very uh, wonderful history. And I thought I'd just start by asking you a bit about your teaching, because it does seem to me that that's been um, an ongoing part of your life. And um, you're t you teach playwriting here, and you know there's that motto, to teach is to learn. And I was wondering if you do feel that um, you learn things about playwriting from your teaching activities. Uh, on a personal level, yes, very much so. I don't think that necessarily applies to every writer, but um, it is something I very much enjoy. And I do tend to find that um, on a Monday evening, for example, having taught the Young Writers Group, I'm more likely to work quite effectively on a Tuesday morning than, than otherwise. Um, I, d I do lots of different projects. Obviously, I think if you're going in working with 13, 14-year-olds, it's, 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 it's very much fun and it's very literacy driven. I, the projects are great. Um, it's not perhaps as creative um, as working with 18 to 25 year olds who are all kind of buzzing with ideas and not that I rip them off but it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's just a nice creative environment. Um, I taught full-time for six years in uh, for Fife region um, so I've got that as a, a skill 
back up. Um, so doing playwriting workshops just seems to be a, a natural kind of um, a natural blend of, of my backgrounds. Um, also, as I say to the young writers, it's it's it is good to have other skills. There's not many people make a living purely from writing plays. Um, and now at the top level, the other skills they might have might be writing for TV or writing for film. Um, and at another level, it might be bar work. But having something that you enjoy doing um, to help you through the times when commissions are a bit thin on the ground um, and in the current climate, you know, we've got to look at that. Um, I'm lucky that I've got the, the teaching background and I enjoy it. Absolutely. And I can vouch for your very <laughs> fabulous teaching. And our young writers are constantly raving about how great Alan is as a teacher. And did you find working, for instance, with um, non-traditional students like the young inmates, do they benefit a lot from projects like working on, on plays? Well, you hope so. I mean, it's a, it's a leap of faith, I suppose, that you, you assume that you're doing some good. Um, one of the problems with prison projects in particular is that it, they are notoriously difficult to evaluate. Um, you hope, obviously, that you are partly responsible for turning around youngsters from a life of crime, of but you, you don't know. I, I, assuming that they don't repeat offend, which is a big assumption, then there's all sorts of things that have gone into making that happen. So you can really only evaluate what they seem to feel by the end of the project. And I think the crossover skills in terms of confidence and, and group work um, are, are obviously beneficial we're not realistically going to get eight professional playwrights out of a group of eight young offenders. Um, but hopefully we get eight people that start to enjoy writing. And just seeing them interact with actors and directors. Um, the, the, the prison governor at Pullman Young Offenders Institute was, was very supportive. He's not there any longer. Um, and I, I think for him just to be able to go down to the writing workshops and speak to these young people in an entirely different capacity um, was something he found very and he is at another prison, so hopefully he'll take that commitment on. Yes, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about Carthage Must Be Destroyed, which unfortunately I didn't see at the time when it was on, but I read the play and I thought it was uh, stupendous. And it was a wonderful, uh, seemed to me a wonderful exploration of a period of time I'm quite interested in, but did so in such a way that it doesn't feel somehow it manages not to feel at all like a period piece. It feels very, very modern. And I know a lot of what was written about it at the time, for instance, a mature, meaty, engrossing drama about power, politics, and decadence, and a gripping indictment of the corruptions of empire. Um, it, it seems that even people at the time got a sense that it was as much about the modern world as about the ancient world. I was just wondering if you could talk to us a bit about it. I think I got very lucky in the sense that I just read about it, and it... it Obviously, at the time, I, I think I wrote it in 2006, um, so we were involved in the land war in Asia um, and with all the attendant kind of mismanagement that involved. So that was obviously in my mind. Um, I do think that the, it was obvious that there would be a glut of theatrical responses to the Iraq war. Um, and um, although I was commissioned, theatre takes a certain amount of time. It's, it's in that scenario it's very difficult to respond directly to something that you've read earlier that day um, when I first read about the third Punic War it just seemed um, ideal because the reason it chimed with me was obviously to do with contemporary events but I could just set the play in that world and I didn't tailor anything to make it chime more directly with anything that was happening it is a play about the third Punic War 
um, not about the Iraq war. And in many ways, I think, um, for all Tony Blair's faults, he didn't go into that war for a popularity vote uh, in the way that Cato did with his opinion war. It has as much to do, I think, with the, um, the anniversary of the Falklands War that was happening at the time as well, um, which did seem to be a blatant bit of um, popularity bagging. Um, so, yeah, I got lucky. It's, it's the, we talked about teaching, and it, it is one of those annoying things. I can't teach that. I don't know what happens when you just get the idea and the play almost writes itself. Mm. Um, and if I, if I could do that every time I sat down with a blank piece of paper, then I would be um, probably living in L.A. by now. Uh, it's, it's just really difficult. It's the easiest play I've ever written and, and the most successful. But I, I wrote it in two weeks. Um, Golly. And I, every decision I made um, just seemed to kind of work. So I, I started thinking about what the equivalent of a smoke-filled room was, where all these decisions get taken, decided it was going to be in a bathhouse. Um, and so I, I started with four blokes sitting with no clothes on in a Roman bathhouse talking <laughs> about politics. <laughs> and for some reason, people liked that. <laughs> uh, there's a, one of the lines from the play I quite like that I thought touched on this this wonderful mixture of um, representing something believable in the ancient world, but also making a comment that feels so true even today. Is the character Gregor saying he's kind of the one who's, who's supposed to go and do things in Carthage, and actually he kind of retired to a house on a hill with a young captive boy, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, in some ways a shame, I could imagine a real session with you, getting slowly rat arsed, putting the world to rights. If international politics was run by well-meaning drunken fools, there wouldn't be any wars, no killing or destruction, just little flare-ups followed by hugs and tears. <laughs> that was, this is just such a gorgeous line, and him in his own kind of drunken, corrupt, static inactivity, not fulfilling any of the things he thinks he's meant to be doing, but actually in many ways filling exactly the purpose that he always seemed to be destined to be fulfilling is, you know, he is that character kind of, if everyone was like him, the world might actually be a nicer place. So we would get perhaps certain th less things done, but I don't know. I, I just, uh, I mean, I think it started as a bit of fantasy politics mm. where, where there was this part of me that, you know, when you watched Tony Blair smugly, glibly talking away in television, you actually wanted him to be wandering around lost in the streets of Fallujah and actually experience what he'd caused. Um, and the wonderful thing about um, classical civilization is that actually the decision makers often did then have to follow through and, and go to war. Um, so Gregor's character really was, was based on, not on Tony Blair, but on the, the sort of politician who said nothing who quietly thought these were bad things that were happening, but politically it suited them to say nothing. And then the fantasy bit came because I then removed Gregor from the, the comfort of his bathhouse and put him into Carthage. Um, and he has to... Well, he doesn't cope with that. Uh, and, yeah, what he's happy in is, is that hugs and kisses and the, the wine and, and the young lads. Um, and if, in order to keep that going he will help advocate a war in Africa, um, then he will do. Um, so, yeah, essentially it was, it was Gregor's story far more than Cato's story. Yes. Um, 
Actually, I wouldn't want too many Gregors wandering about, but <laughs> he is he is punished pretty well in the play as well. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've had a soft spot for, for Gregor, but he had to be punished. <laughs> yes. Um, this makes me think as well about some of the writing you've done for the past two years of election plays that we've done here at the Traverse. And those were... Um, Please responding to the very current political situation um, it, going on in both the past elections this year and the year before. And um, I guess I was curious to ask you about how you feel about playwriting's role in politics. Um, I think that the, the benefit of both the election night things was that we did have a group of writers who were able to give up their time almost for free, but to write into the last minute. Um, it, it's quite unusual that you get that opportunity. Where I think theatre writing can react to something that was on Reporting Scotland the night before. There are um, forums where that happens, but it's it's not the traditional commissioning model. Um, I, I liked being able to look at manifestos and have that inform what I was going to write for the election night shows. Whereas if... Um, if I was writing it now to be performed in the event, say, of Scotland achieving independence, um, it would be dated by the time it went on. Um, I also, I mean, I, I do find politics an interesting world, and I, I don't like, um, I don't like being preached at in the theatre. But I think that the format of short pieces, and, and you know that with different writers, it's not going to be you preaching. You're going to be part of a, a multiple. Of voices, um, but I did find myself quite angry, and I, I quite enjoyed venting that <laughs> <laughs> on the kind of vacuousness of some of the politics that we were being offered. The, the, the first year we did it, um, we we based it very much on the figure of of Gordon Brown, who who seemed complex um, and and seemed interesting dramatically. This year, I think we struggled a bit more because. Uh, of the innate blandness of everybody in, involved, it's very difficult to find a, a coherent dramatic structure. So it was a it was a different show this year. But yeah. um, interestingly enough, uh, we we didn't predict the election at all. Um, I think we all thought the SNP would get in with a majority, but um, nobody. We're not. We're, it's not a prediction industry, but nobody really thought that um, uh, Labour and Lib Dems would get destroyed as much as they they did do. But I thought that was one of the exciting things about the project in that context is that essentially it was such a uh, such a an up to date response to literally ha things happening the moment before the election that it would prove it could prove to be wrong. You know, it wasn't commenting on something that had already happened and was already proved proven to be true. And and I think that it did still represent the feelings of everyone very in a very real way, the way they were feeling. And, and actually that shock of, of what did happen was was yes. quite exciting. Uh, one of the writers kind of apologised for, for not predicting what had gone on. And uh, I said that I, if I'd been in the prediction business, I'd have gone to the bookies. Yes. Really, <laughs> it, it wasn't about predi predictions. Yeah. I, I feel like some of your work... Uh, seems to have come from, been inspired by, or had aspects of your own life maybe represented within, not directly perhaps, but maybe your experience of one job, which then you used to write about. 
um, a certain character working in a certain place in a play. And it was making me um, want to ask you about how you feel one's own life can inform one's writing. Is it, you know, there's that, some people say, oh, you should write from experience. Some people say, no, if a good writer uses their imagination, you should be able to write about anything. I was just... I, I think it is a case of what works for any individual writer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how you completely take yourself and your experiences out of the equation. Um, I, I've, I deny ever having been in a Roman bathhouse um, <laughs> or, or, or indeed starting a war. Um, but obviously there's a personal element in that play. And I, I, it's, it's research-driven. I've found out about the Third Punic War. Um, but you can't take yourself out of the equation at all. Um, I don't think my life's interesting enough for me to be allowed to just write about what I do. So for me, research comes into it. Um, uh, in some ways, I think, when we've talked about this with the Young Writers Group, I think it's a, it can be a bit of a red herring for people whether they think that um, they must write about what they know. I kind of think, well, no, just find out about what you need to know in order to write the play. It'll be personal anyway, in, in some way. Um, I don't write autobiography. I'm not really interested in discussing um, my family, my history with the theatre audience. Uh, I don't think that's useful for me or interesting for them. Um, but I can't help who I am and it'll come into any play. Because something, I was just talking about it with a group earlier, but something that had come up in the one of the last writer's group sessions I was in was um, this notion of uh, maybe w what makes a good play or what you have to experience or have in order to produce a good play. And one of the uh, things like originality, genius, one of the options was suffering. And I was quite fascinated to see how many of the young writers raised their hands and said, suffering suffering is what i need to write a good play and in fact said things like i'm too young to have suffered properly i need to get some more <laughs> suffering but it was interesting I it was the first time i met that group as well um, i mean the, the, <laughs> it, it was another writer that put that forward as it was one of the kind of myths of, of writing um i don't know i think a sensible response to to the world generally is to be slightly depressed from time to time so i mean everyone's gonna have an element of suffering <laughs> it's in, something in, you in can tap world. into yeah, yeah exactly but um there's this kind of, I suppose the myth, you know, in a way, comes from the, the great work that's been done over the centuries from people living in garrets, etc. Uh, and there's certainly <laughs> a truth in that, but um, there's also lots of great work that's come from people that lived in big houses. It's, um, I would rather um, have a few luxuries in life than just to suffer. You know, suffering doesn't seem like much fun. <laughs> <and> <laughs> um, oh, and I had uh, one other question about, you know. Um, I feel like I've heard many, many writers from different forms always, you know, when they're asked to give a piece of advice to writers, they say, oh, read, you must read, 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 which I agree with and I think is true. But one of the things you don't often hear is then following on from that, what is it a writer is supposed to be learning from or doing with all this reading? And I was wondering if you had like, what's the next stage of advice after while you're reading? What, what are there ways that you can particularly benefit from reading or is it just generally a good thing to do? I, I kind of think it's generally a good thing to do, but it might not be necessary for everybody. I think there are um, playwrights in particular who've just um, approached it with a certain attitude from the word go and, and created some brilliant stuff without having been theatre junkies for ten years previously. Um, I, I, what I say to the young writers, now obviously they're, they're putting themselves in a position where they wish to be challenged 
and that they do want to see theatre. So I'm kind of preaching to the converted. Um, but I think it's important to think about why you didn't like stuff as well as why you did. Um, uh, I also think it's important at a certain point to approach your own writing as if you've not read any play ever before oh. um, and just write. Uh, if I had to give any advice, it would be the advice that um, Stendhal gave um, when he said that, um, and I'm misquoting, um, but it's essentially he said that if he'd spent the years between 18 and 25 um, writing a page a day instead of just sitting around waiting for genius to visit him, um, he'd have achieved far more, far quicker in his life. And that the enemy of any writer, of any genre, is the blank piece of paper. And there's no point going to see every single play at the Traverse and reading everything in our library if you don't do any writing. And that there are people that think that being in a writing group means they will be a writer. Um, but it, it's not like that. You've actually got to get some words on the page. Oh, well, that on that note, I think uh, that was absolutely fantastic and that's some really, really great advice for all the aspiring and currently writing writers out there. Thank you so much for um, joining us today, well, Alan. Been it's a pleasure. been a delight to have you here and sharing some of your amazing grains of wisdom with us. Thank you. Um, and thank you to all our listeners out there. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this edition of Travcast and that you'll join us again next month to hear another Travcast interview with one of our exciting playwrights. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.